May God save us from false religion. What makes a religion false? If any religion is right, then maybe they all have to be right. Maybe God doesn't care how you say your prayers, just as long as you say them. What if there's no God at all? Is that what you believe? I believe in saving lives. Without life, the question is meaningless. But life has to be more than just a pulse beat. What we hold sacred gives our lives meaning. A forbidden operation. Who asked you to play God? May save a child, but unleash a holy war. If he touches Sean, I will kill him. On the next Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. podcast land welcome to the 24th top ranked tv reviews podcast in germany but this is gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and a part of npr illinois community voices i am scott and with me as always is emily blake jesse mike (laughs) andrew kevin and i'm justin and nicole and we are going to be talking about believers. But before I get started with believers, I do want and I want to be serious for a moment and say that this episode is going to be a heavier episode because believers, if you've watched it, is a heavier episode which talks about religion and uh, the care for children. So uh, if you are somebody who um, doesn't feel comfortable listening to that, we completely understand. Uh, we will be back next week with a much more uh, interesting episode about terrorists, survivors. So it's going to be great, but just a fair warning on that. And for those of you who just joined us, I probably should tell you, we are a group of newbies and long-term fans who are watching uh, Babylon 5 from the beginning. And then we will, uh, halfway through this episode, jettison out the newbies so we can start talking spoilers about the entire show and what comes after Believers. So if you are if you watch the show before, you can stay with us throughout the entire thing. If you are new to the show, then you can drop off when our newbies drop off. Scott yes. managed to piss off the creator of Babylon 5 and has been hate-tweeted by GAMS for one of his opinions, telling him, victory, you're fucking wrong. So wait, can, we discuss not, this? can we discuss this now? Can we but discuss not, this now? Though. Okay, so we were having a conversation about TKO, which you guys have not seen yet. But without spoilers, I will say TKO has... Much like we said, subplot, subplot B and subplot A don't align much in this episode. Wait for TKO. The whole idea is those two subplots really don't align. Okay, and I'll leave it at that. So I said, I think this was probably because JMS, as a showrunner, is still trying to get his legs underneath him and trying to figure out how to determine if um, – or not determine, but how to get everything he wants to do universe building in this first season. So he's just putting stuff together, even if it doesn't make sense. And he responded, the great, uh, the great maker himself responded saying, or maybe somebody else just wrote that episode. <laughs> but I would have to say, and JMS has said this in other tweets, 
The showrunner has final decision-making power. So at the end of the day, I feel that I'm right and JMS is wrong, but I'm not going to tell him that. And I don't think he's listening, so it's okay. <laughs> Be tuned for JMS's next hate tweet towards Scott. Yes. So let's go ahead and get into our first impressions on Believers. And we'll go to Emily first. Uh-huh. Thanks. Um, You're welcome. So I'll start with, I liked Ivanova getting all saucy about <laughs> wanting to take out the fighter jets. And as for the A-plot, uh, I knew it was going to be rough as soon as I saw the kid lying in the hospital bed and the title of the episode. But I'll what? more of that opinion for later, because that's just the nice first impressions. I, I like the first impression. That's excellent. Blake, what do you got? You know, I, I'm going to say, and you've touched on this, Scott, several times, but uh, reading Straczynski's book, uh, Becoming Superman, and looking at his background, um, he actually spent time living in a religious cult-like community. And, and he calls it a cult. So it's and not he like does. He, calls it, he calls it a cult. I'm pulling words from his book, so that's not me adding in. Uh, but I think this is the start of what you see with this episode pulling pieces from his own life and experiences. He crafts some of these stories and some of this narrative and looking how that plays into this episode. Now that I've read the book and watching this again, because this wasn't one of my favorite episodes for many reasons, but you know, I think it's aged better as far as showing the direction he went with the show and also with the type of storylines he wasn't afraid to tackle. I mean, we've all mentioned a certain other sci-fi franchise and, you know, this never would have happened there. The the story never would have resolved this way. You know, this was him again making a statement of this was not the same type of sci-fi that had been around. And you mentioned another sci-fi show, which obviously is Star Trek. And, but the writer of this episode was David Gerald. Does anyone who's a Star Trek nerd, nerd know what David Gerald wrote in Star Trek original series? Tri- uh, I was to Trials and Tribulations, but that's a DS9 episode. The Trouble of Tribbles. So this is the Tribbles guy writing this episode. And then he came back for Star Trek the Animated Series and wrote a Tribbles episode for Star Trek the Animated Series. So this is the Tribbles guy talking about child death. And knows what he's good at. But I, I think it is fascinating, though, that JMS went out and got a Star Trek writer to write the We Are Not Star Trek episode. So, yeah. Jesse, what do you got? This this episode was a mindfuck. Um, <clears throat> just watching it and beginning to watch it. And, like, I think it was Emily that said, you know, you knew that it was going to be heavy when you saw the kid in, lying in bed. <clears throat> I did not realize um, how relevant... I guess this show is, I mean, I, I, I should know by now cause we're almost, you know, we're more than hopefully more than halfway through the first season. And he's, he's writing about things again that were prevalent at that time that are still prevalent at this time. And it's, it's, it was just a really deep, deep episode. Um, I will say side note, it's the first episode that when I saw Ivanova, I smiled. So you're all welcome. Here we are. I'm, I've fully um, accepted and I feel, I find myself being very um, glad to see her on the screen. So I stand corrected. You know, in writing right now. So you are pro Ivanova now. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. (laughs) Thank you for the pregnant pause. We appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And you are, this is like three episodes in a row where you actually liked the episode? well if you can say you liked the episode sure i are you happy you watched the episode um i was i was intrigued by said episode um i you know made me made me 
uncomfortable like a lot of the other episodes have, but um, I mean, it is what it is. You can't really be happy when a kid dies. So, okay, let's go to Mike. God damn. <laughs> um, the first dialogue in the episode is a child's voice saying, am I going to die? <laughs> and I haven't felt this good after watching something since I watched the movie up, which was like, Hey kids, you're mortal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man, there's no talking dog in this one either. It was just sad. Um, that said, I mean, it was a very good episode. It, um, I don't know what the B plot was about or what it was even doing in this episode because it made no sense considering the ultra heaviness of plot A. But uh, I'm going to disagree with you, sir, on that. I think okay. it actually ties together really well because um, you have two command staff of Babylon 5 disobeying orders. Obviously, Franklin's been told, do not do the surgery. Ivanova has been told, do not leave the convoy. Ivanova leaves the convoy, takes a risk, and we don't see what happens, but it looks like the risk she took paid off. And then at the very end of the episode, we see the kid. And by the way, that is the docking ship that she protected from the Raiders. The kid comes off and is greeted by his parents. So, And that's yeah. why Garibaldi says, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. That's fair. I mean, I guess it's not lost on me. It's just mostly that the plots were so... I mean, I guess that's why you call them plot A and plot B, but it felt so unbalanced that... Uh, you're right. I'll, I'll I'll rescind my statement that the B plot didn't belong there, but I didn't like the way that it was necessarily executed and tied together. I totally get the end scene and, and how it was kind of poignant after what had happened, but... Um, Anyway, that said, I mean, uh, overall, it's obviously not a feel-good episode. It's a feel-bad episode, but the fact that it makes you feel bad makes it a good episode because it's relevant and it's a thinker, and <laughs> that's, you know, what we're here for. Andrew, what do you got? I liked the episode, but I'm in agreement with everyone else that uh, it's not a fun watch. Uh, I, my lap final note here... Uh, uh, in my notes for the episode is just what the fuck is that ending? Yeah, that's that's all I got. Kevin, go ahead. Really liked seeing Trisha O'Neill in this episode, uh, even though it's a very downer episode. I didn't. Um, I remember hating this one a lot more than I, I felt this time seeing it. Um, this is not a good episode for Doctor Franklin in a lot of different ways. He really comes off as a cocky asshole in this episode, and so does his other other doctor. But uh, man, they just uh, they really hit on a lot of stuff without showing really any cultural relativism at all, which you you would think you would need to have that particular skill set on a space station full of aliens. But uh, there you go. There they don't they don't seem to have or at least Franklin and the medical staff doesn't seem to have any. It it, it this is a tough episode, but it it really it really does show how the clash of cultures can be really difficult. Uh Justin, what do you got? I mean, this is I mean, this is probably the first episode that I've like yelled obscenities at my television, uh, to be honest. <laughs> It all started with a couple actor misidentifications. I really thought at the beginning that the dad was Meatloaf. And then I thought that the, uh, I thought that the actor who played Sean was the same kid who played Alexander in Next Generation. I did sadly. I was, but sadly I was wrong on both counts. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, it's, it's a rough one, man. Um, I don't, I don't have kids, but it's still like a really gut puncher. Um, 
And it's a tale that's old as time. I mean, and how many how many times throughout the history of humanity have we had this debate? Have we had this discussion? It pops up in the news every so often. We've had major court cases about it. Every TV show's covered it in one way or another. Um, so it's just it's it's always something that's still at the kind of the forefront, the separation between uh religion and medical science. Um I love I love Devonaba um in this. I love I I love I see now why a lot of people really like her. Um I love I love to see her getting sassy. Um I love I was laughing out loud at the clips about her kind of feeling like the wife stuck in the kitchen. I'm just gonna sit here and knit me a sweater or something like that, you know. And I, I, I really like kind of seeing her in that kind of role and seeing her more animated um and seeing her more involved. But yeah, I mean it's I mean, yeah, this, the, this, this episode sucks for, you know, a lot of reasons, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't regret watching it. Um, it's definitely a very poignant episode and I'll kind of leave it at that. Cool. So I can see why Kevin hated it for so long. <laughs> um, so I do feel like this episode was really sad and it was really hard and it, it was very, um, heavy. But I also feel like it was really impactful, too. And the crazy thing to me is, which has already been mentioned, is how it's like these things that the show from all these years ago, these themes and these problems and all these things that they discuss and go through are still relevant today. Like, it's crazy, you know, um, how it's still a debate. You know, there's still people who reject medical things because of religion and things like that. Like, this is still something that happens um so it's really interesting to me and very um what's the word i'm looking for just powerful like how this show from so long ago can be so relevant today but also just the gamut of emotions that you feel throughout the episode i feel like that's really important too when you're watching something if it makes you feel something i feel like that is how you recognize it's a good show so as sad and depressing and awful as it was it was still so good because it was like it still like punched you in the gut in a good way and just had that powerful feeling also I really loved how Ivanova just gave the business to Sinclair. She was like, let me go knit. Like Justin was saying, like, she just let him have it. And then he's like, do you want to go out and do that? She goes, well, if you insist, you know? So I really like that. But I think the juxtaposition at the end too, about when Garibaldi, I forgot who had mentioned that said, you know, some things work out, some things don't. If the kid coming back, I, I do think that like, was kind of a it was kind of like a <laughs> one more shove one more stab at you you know like um it was it was like oh you think you're okay now let me jab at you one more time with that little kid in the family so uh and again i don't have kids but i can imagine being a parent this is probably a hard to digest episode before we dive into the episode i want to kind of point out too as i we a couple of us have mentioned this is an interesting episode that was able to air in 1994 because one, it is pretty, it's not hard sci-fi. There's not much going on aside from, you know, pew pew in space a little bit, but also the fact that you have this hard conversation about religious rights and medical and science rights and everything else. So JMS pointed out in the Usenet back in the 90s that um, before the episode even aired, he had this to say. By the way, here's something interesting. An outline got turned in this week for an episode with, which I won't identify just now. Came in from one of our writers based on the assigned premise. It's something you'll have never done on any sci-fi TV series. 
And I don't think it's ever been done in TV overall. A very daring little story. Word finally came back from our liaison with PTN. Number one, this is, this is a quote from the liaison, PTN. Number one, this is absolutely against the demographics of the show. Number two, no studio or network executive in his right mind would ever approve this story in a million years. Number three, it's a hell of a story. I love it. Let's do it. So it is nice that the studio actually backed them up on this. I will bash the studio a lot, more so in season one than I do any other time, except for season five, which we'll get there when we get there. But at this time, the studio let them do it. And I'm really impressed by that as well, too. So let's go ahead and because it's a minor point, is there any more conversations on the B plot before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this episode? Does anyone else want to say anything about Ivanova uh, uh, and what she's doing? Again, Nicole and everybody else, I do agree with you. I, and I, I'm kind of upset that John is uh, not here this week. John, by the way, is has been kicked out of the country and is touring Europe for a few weeks. So that's why he's not here. Uh, but I think this is an episode where he could probably latch on to Ivanova as well, too, because even though she doesn't get much in terms of lines, the lines she gets ingratiates her more to us. And I think anything has happened so far in the show, aside from maybe when she's talking to her dad um, in that one episode. Kevin, what do you got? I'm just glad she got to do something in this show um, and really uh, showed why she is the second in command of the station instead of just being a hood ornament, because she definitely is is a very capable officer and i'm glad that they finally in the 10th or 11th or whatever number of the episode this is finally showed that this is episode 10 10 but it is production episode 5 so we're actually going back in time production wise this one was made fairly early on it just didn't air for a while uh emily i want to know what she actually did because she left the group took on the raiders <laughs> and what sure, you know what got damaged I want to know what she actually did. How did she do it? Let's I feel take, like there's a lot there. Let's take a little stroll into Usenet because people were asking JMS the same thing back in the 90s and he answered. So let Go me ahead. find that because I actually have it pulled up and now I got to find. Okay, so he said, what happened uh, to Ivanova when she encountered the Raiders? Question mark. She got away by long distance firing as she retreated as fast as she could, taking shots as she went. It wouldn't look really exciting in the long run, so we didn't shoot it. <laughs> so she went pew pew and ran. <laughs> I actually thought in that last scene that she was, they showed the shuttle docking, and I actually thought she was getting off the shuttle. Like they had to pick her up. Yeah, it's kind of weird because we'll learn actually in the next episode that there are Cobra Bays where the Star Furies come out. And this is not a spoiler because it's really going to come up in the next episode. So the Star Furies that they're flying do not come in the same place as the main ship. So that's, I think they just did that to kind of make the plot move quick because she definitely would not be arriving from that gate. Nicole, what do you got? I was going to ask what happened to the ship because I know it was pretty damaged, <laughs> but I also thought it was really cool um, to see her like, you know, flying and being in combat and like just doing something totally different, you know, because she's usually at the helm of the ship. And, you know, um, it was nice to see her outside of that doing something different, you know, kind of showing off what she is capable of in a way. Uh, I thought it was really cool that they finally kind of showed that and let us see a little different side of her. It's kind of interesting. You know, we talk about this space station being huge. It's 250,000 people, roughly. But there seems to be only three people in the command staff that can lead a squadron of fighters. We know Garibaldi can. We know Sinclair can. And now we know Ivanova can. And it's basically said in this episode that only those three are uh, rated high enough to be commanders of a squadron. So I think that's an interesting 
thing that probably will come up again down the road. Like, what do you got? I mean, on the B plot of this one, it is good to see Ivanova getting to do something, but I still kind of go back to what Mike said earlier about it seems a little out of place in this episode. And I think that might be a byproduct of the production order that, you know, they did this kind of five and it, it feels like they threw the Raider plot in as a lack of a better way to know how to get there as a standalone episode. And so it, it does feel disjointed from the rest of the episode as far as some of the other B plots integrate nicely as a background piece. Whereas this one really sort of doesn't. Mm-hmm. Maybe they put the B plot in there to try to break up the heaviness. Is kind of one thought I had. Yeah, and I definitely get that. And I think that they did try to break up the heaviness with the episode. I just think they were a little heavy handed on the B plot with this one about it not fitting. I mean, some of the other episodes we've seen with B plots, the B plot actually does weave better into the episode itself than what this one did. This one was really felt like, you know okay, A, we have this concept we need to introduce and B, we have some time to kill. So let's just throw it in there rather than a thought out, like written in B plot to the episode as a whole. And it was kind of that in part with Garibaldi saying, oh, here, I'll fill you in was kind of the bridge to like, oh yeah, let me catch you up on everything that's just happened that's completely unrelated. So for me, it just feels disjointed between the A and B plot with this one. Yeah, I think that really sums up my feelings about it, probably better than what I said earlier. Um I was just going to point out, I guess I'm the odd man out on this one, because while I've liked Susan Ivanova as a character and everything, I actually did not care for her dialogue and her little sassy moment in the beginning. It felt something that's bothering me, especially in this episode, and I'll just put it out there, is I feel like all of the command officers are very disrespectful to Sinclair. Like, I get that they're kind of like, he hand-recruited these people and brought them in because they're kind of his friends and his respected colleagues, and they have maybe a slightly less than professional relationship with one another, but like the the way Ivanova kind of like talked to him in front of, I'm, I'm assuming there were other people on the bridge of Babylon five at that time. And then the way that the doctor interacted with them, I was just like, like, dang, like, these people walk all over Sinclair. It, it really kind of bugged me. <laughs> I have to say, after being a manager of someone that's also a friend of mine, this is exactly what it's like. I yeah. absolutely agree. I've yeah, I've I've been a director of a staff for quite a while now, and yeah, I think it just it depends on the leader too. Um, if there if you allow for just kind of an open communication like that, then that's what you're going to get. And I personally, I I prefer to be in an office like that or a command and control center like that than being the hardcore thing I'm, i think it is saying interesting I, though. yeah i mean i'm not sure. saying i don't think that it was an accurate portrayal but i also think that this is like a gigantic space station that's a government effort and they're in the military and not like managing an office max so <laughs> <laughs> well, i want to drive the, i want to drive the forklift today come on it's my turn uh, I will say, though, and Mike, you know this because you've watched the show, we will get more military-type personnel down the road who will be more by the book, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. So I think we're, I think we will definitely see that more, too. Justin? I honestly just think it's more of Sinclair's um, management style, and it's kind of pretty similar to my own. Like, I want my people to be able to be open and honest with me. Um, and I really think that's just how he prefers to run things. Like he, he trusts those people to be 100% open and honest with them at all times. So then sometimes, yeah, maybe they will overstep that line a little bit from time to time. But I honestly think just from 
what I understand of Sinclair, I think he'd rather have those moments more than have strict military discipline and protocol. Jesse, what do you got? I don't, I didn't see anything wrong with it. (laughs) I'm sure that's shocking to everybody on this podcast, but I didn't see, I saw a very um, frustrated woman, um, a, a woman who probably is overlooked for, um, some of these missions because you see the guys run in and she's just kind of left standing there most of the time. So, you know, for somebody that's capable and, um, has the ability and is willing to do so, it's probably frustrating for her to have been like, Oh yeah, we'll go get, you know, go get the other guy to do it. So, um, I, I liked, and I didn't think she was disrespectful about it. She was a little passive aggressive. Um, but I mean, I, you know, as somebody who can do that with the best of them, I don't, you know, sometimes it's effective. So we've been getting some reviews in and uh, first and foremost, if you're listening to this and you haven't reviewed us, and I know you haven't because only two people have. So chances are pretty good. You haven't reviewed us. Uh, please do uh, either on Apple, Spotify, Audible, wherever you're listening to us, give us a review, even if it's just a five star or, you know, if you want to give us less than five star, fine i guess if you want to be mean about it go for it (laughs) but give us a review because it will definitely help us out i mean we're already number 24 in germany but we can do better and Uh, your reviews will help us how does this go uh if you give us anything less than fives my manager will not give me a gift card (laughs) so let's read a review because we do have a couple and if you put a review in and it's not really mean well actually you know what i'll if, if it's mean, I'll probably still read it, and we'll have Jesse read your hate tweets as well, too. But let's read some reviews that come in. So this one comes from Logo728. Cool idea. Great execution. We didn't pay him off, believe it or not. So how do you make a cult sci-fi TV show from 25 years ago relevant and interesting to longtime fans and newbies alike? Have both as regulars on the podcast. Grade 17 makes the very clever move of introducing new people to one of the most important sci-fi television shows of the 90s, resulting in a whole new perspective on the show and its groundbreaking format. For viewers who grew up watching TV that was revolutionized by B5, only a few episodes in the chemistry between the crew is already solid and keeps getting better. Certainly worth a listen. First off, uh, thank you for saying that it was very clever because it was my idea. So I appreciate that it's clever. So who what what are we talking about? What most most influential sci-fi shows? Does no one remember Viper back in the nineties? I loved Viper. It was great. It was actually a great show. I, I, I loved that it. Show. How, how My about friends Mantis? and I talked about it every week. Time Mantis. Time Tracks was on BTN. It, it led into Babylon Five. There you you watch Time Tracks and then you watch Babylon Five, and then you and the briefly Kung Fu. and the briefly lived RoboCop series. Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. The Canadian one or the U.S. one? The Canadian the US one. Oh, I never watched Jesus. the Canadian one. But then after, you know, you watched Time Tracks and Babylon 5, you stayed on for Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. Legend Return, yeah. No, The Legend Continues. I was right. Bite my ass. Mm-hmm. The Legend <laughs> Continues. And it was with David Carradine <laughs> and, and his son, which actually I think it was his son because nepotism, wow. Uh, it was his son. And then Highlander, the Highlander series. That wasn't on PTN, but good job. But Stick with your Viper joke. It was still a good Ooh. one. Ooh. Does anyone remember <laughs> Marker? Marker. Marker. Marker, yeah, with uh, no. Gates McFadden. I do not. Oh, no, that, I do was, not. Uh, that was right as UPN, uh, because Babylon 5 was on UPN briefly, I, I'm pretty sure. Right Babylon 5 was, was always, on every, yeah. 
Okay. But Kevin's always had an unhealthy crush on Gates McFadden, so that Shut doesn't up. surprise me. He hasn't. Damn it. I mean... My secret's out. <laughs> coming back for Picard but honestly, but, but if there's But if there is a Canadian version of RoboCop, I feel like I have to go see it. I like. I want to see him like in a red outfit and be like overly polite to people. There's actually, it's a miniseries and there's three of them. And I've only seen the first one, but it's actually relatively good. Dead or alive, it's... you're coming with me, don't you know? It's actually... Oh, Jesus. Hold on. While we're at it, did anybody watch? And maybe my maybe my point in time here is wrong, but The Invisible Man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great show. Yeah. I think are... now until I go rewatch Jesse. Jesse just went off video. She's done. I, I, I was gonna say, is Jesse sticking ice picks in her ears right now? Or like, <laughs> Nicole looks in pain too. She's like, oh, good. The nerd boys are talking. I'm just wondering when you're going to bring up Sequest DSV. Thank yes! you. <laughs> first episode, the, first, the, first season, the first season of Sequest is, we now say Orville is Star Trek. When Sequest came out, Sequest was Star Trek in yeah. the ocean. Yeah. yeah and then they made... One good. Season two, eh. Season, season three, three, what the fuck? Well, you know what? Season three has Michael Ironside, yeah. so I give it bonus it, points It counts for, for a lot. Is that the guy who became... No, that's Jason Ironheart. Sorry, Michael Ironside is the the character actor who's been in every movie you saw in the '80s, and you didn't know it was him. He became all over. I don't know. I think the dad in this episode of Babylon Five might be the guy that you've seen in something somewhere at some time. Yeah. Well, Trisha O'Neill is in tons of stuff, not just Star Trek either. Lots. Was uh, she was a captain of the Enterprise C. Yep, Captain Garrett. Well, and she was on oh, DS9 once, maybe which, twice. Which, by she the way, for Titanic. Everyone's like, Captain Janeway is the first uh, female captain. You didn't watch no. Yesterday's Enterprise. Yeah. Um, well, and actually, uh, we kind of glossed over it at this point, but I thought uh, the actress that played, uh, I don't know if it's Dr. Franklin's nurse or fellow yeah. doctor. She's I thought a, she's she was fellow actually doctor. She, fellow doctor. Dr. I thought Hernandez. she was great in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will. Uh, it's a, thank you for bringing that up, and I'm sure we'll talk about her a little bit more too. But um, she, what what you have is you have several med bays and med labs across the station because this sense. is a huge station. So Franklin is the chief doctor, but um, there are other doctors around the station, and sometimes they come in for consults with Franklin, and that's who that is. And we will see her again, not a spoiler, but she is going to be a semi-recurring character from now on. Uh, cool, yeah, because really? I like her. I... Yes. According, she goes back. According to IMDb, she was only in this one episode. Uh, I without spoiling her name changes. Maybe it's a different actress, but she's playing the same character, and I can't say more because it's actually a relatively long arc of the show when she shows up, and we'll talk Fair about enough. Beyond the Rim. Well, I'll throw this out there too: the the actor that played the child in this episode also has quite a few IMDb credits leading up to even this. And year. he's still and and he's still active. Yeah, he's still yeah. an active actor. Well, he was very good in this episode. Uh, he did a really Jonathan good job. C. Kaplan. There's so many child actors who That's would off love you, this. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for making me cry, you jackass. <sighs> okay, let's dive in to the A plot with Sean and the worst parents ever. Go ahead. And who wants to talk about them first? Well, were they the worst parents ever? I, I know. I, I dangled that out there just for fun. <laughs> this is the conversation we're going to have. I mean, anyone who mistakes them for not loving their son in this episode is completely missing the point completely agree and i think they show you that too i mean they go out of their way to save their son's soul quote unquote by going to everyone including kosh who talks to kosh 
Yeah. They go to him and they beg for his help. And by the way, this but Kosh's response was awesome. That's one of my favorite quotes from Kosh. I've used it many yeah. times. And it also, t- it's a revealing too, because the whole, we talked, we talked about this in the episode that, uh, Dr. Kyle opened the door to this when he operated on Kosh without his permission. And that's why Kosh said the avalanche has already started. It's too late for the pebbles to vote. Kosh knows Kyle operated on him and knows that it opened something up literally and physically and metaphorically. Nicole, what do you got? I was just going to say, um, that's interesting what you said about Kosh. Cause yeah, they literally did when they asked him, Oh, how would you feel if it was you? He basically had the same thing happen to him. He was operated on you know, regardless or saved or whatever. Um, But I was going to say like the whole, it's like, you know, that they love him, they love him, but like they're doing what they feel in their heart is right. But Franklin has an oath to save people. So the clash between them two was, I mean, it was there, you weren't telling each other anything, you know, it was, they were just never going to agree. And then I thought, you know, when they went to all the different ambassadors uh, and they even went to Sinclair, before you know they thought that you know franklin did uh and they you know made the rounds asking for help um i was really surprised that sinclair agreed not to allow franklin to do the surgery to be honest i thought he was going to give in and tell him to do it but um i was really shocked that he didn't and one of the things that i really i mean i don't want to go too far ahead but at the end when they rejected him uh that just like broke my heart that part right there and um I we can get into the end a little bit more later but I just it was like a emotional roller coaster watching that because it was like you want to choke one but then you want to choke the other because you know like the little boy should live but it's you can see both sides it was just really like Jesse said I think it was a mind fuck for sure Mike I did a little bit of IMDb and it's a different actor and a different character a doc, a female doctor who does the exact same thing shows up again. Basically, I think they just switched out the actors, which you know mm-hmm. happens on the show. Emily, I thought it was interesting when the mother was trying to convince Delin to intervene and had the audacity of saying, "So your beliefs won't let you intervene? Like really, <laughs> really? Your beliefs won't let you have medical intervention to save your son's life, and you're going to get salty with her about this?" Yeah, I got, I was very frustrated by that. Like, do not see the absurdity of it, of the accusation. I thought it was fascinating how each one of the ambassadors handled it. We already talked about Kosh. He's just like, it's already done. You can't stop it. Uh, um, Jakar is like, I don't even know who the heck you are and you do nothing for me. So whatever. Uh, Lando wanted some kickback. He's like, I'll do it for you, but you got to pay me. Definitely feel like the production order mattered here. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yes. Because especially with Jakar, right? I mean, they made Jakar's response the most dickheaded response possible. They made (laughs) Lado's the same, but slightly softer, I guess, in a way, because he's charming. Delenn was like, I felt, felt very meant to be like, I'm sorry, honey. I wish I could help you, but I can't. Bless your heart. Bless Bless your your heart. heart. And Kosh was like, he just got coshed, but <laughs> was it was it Delin's kind of the the whole uh, thoughts and prayers response on Facebook? You always well, say, you know, it was, and, and, I, and I and I completely agree with Emily and the like. How dare you? How like <laughs> it was like thrown right back on her face. 
Like the very thing I'm asking you to do, you're now mad at me about kind of the pot calling the kettle black. I thought it almost sounded like a, a form of uh, Star Trek's prime directive a little bit. It's like, we, we can't interfere. That's how I took it. What, it just, isn't it ironic that, and I, I completely agree with you, Kevin, but isn't it ironic that we're talking about the species that literally almost wiped the earth off the face of the universe? <laughs> Cause we just saw that a few weeks ago. <laughs> so, the, but now they're like, we don't interfere unless you fire at us. Then we definitely no, interfere. It was not interfering about uh, matters of the soul like spiritual yes. matters and nothing to do with like, you know, annihilating a whole race. Cause that might be a whole different segment of their belief system. <laughs> you're, you're, you're completely right on that, Emily. And actually JMS in the Usenet back in the day said that Dylan is actually referring to the soul hunters in some way in this as well, too. It's the same kind of thing. Justin, what do you got? I mean, I guess this is something that I have struggled with personally. Um, you know, Thinking about it, and, and this just brings back a lot of the, the thoughts I've had about this issue one way or another. Does the state have the right to intervene with the wishes of a parent? And under what circumstances do we allow it? Um, you can even throw, you know, doctor-assisted suicide. Like, a lot of the state versus medical um, arguments really, you know, that, that just returned all of this in my head. So it's like, sometimes I sympathize honestly there are times i've sympathized with the parents in this episode like they have their own personal religious beliefs like and especially if you see the way that they reacted after the surgery treating him like they even called him a demon because their religious beliefs teach them that if you puncture the body the soul leaks out and you're no longer a holy being so like it i don't know it's i really struggle with it and it's Unfortunately, this episode and future encounters with this issue isn't going to do much to probably fix it. And I guess going along with one of my other favorite quotes is sometimes doing the right thing doesn't change anything. Mm -hmm. And like it's what did we learn from this episode? Not really anything more than we've learned from the other iterations. And I think it's actually if this was the first time it was ever done on TV, what a iconic um influence because what now every medical show has ever, ever has done it i mean you you've you've seen it in so many other iterations throughout other television shows that if this was actually the first time that they ever did this it's well done well done to jms and the b5 crew i mean it was very risky you know and uh again i've, I've scoured the use nets for this one too this little plum jms actually got called out saying actually this is the kind of the same plot as City on the Edge of Forever. I'm like, well, well kind of, a little bit. Somebody has to die. <laughs> but <laughs> Andrew, go ahead. One thing I wanted to point out was uh, part of uh, when Dr. Franklin is trying to take and uh, he gives him uh, that like little ball of goo or whatever he calls it. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, no, like, it, it's an egg. Like, I need you to take care of it because I'll be busy taking care of you. Uh, and then Sean reveals later, like, hey, he gave me this pile of goo. And, like, he, said, he told me it was an egg, but I'm pretty sure this is just a pile of goo. Uh, like that, I kind of like that little small bit because uh, it, it shows that like these guys aren't like whatever religion they b believe in. They're not completely blinded by it. Like they're aware of uh, like the whole placebo effect. Jesse. So I think this just comes to show that like okay. Let's start with let's start with the show where they said um, they start with the show that says they said something about whose belief is right. Right. Like all these all these people believe different things and who's right. 
but it also shows how dangerous religion can be. And as somebody who identifies as a Christian, I, you know, taking out, taking out my personal beliefs, organized religion can be absolutely deadly to the wrong and most unfortunate people. And I'll tell you, Sinclair had some extreme neglect here because the dad of the child straight up looked at him and said, if that doctor does that surgery, I'm going to kill him. So what do they do? They let the kid go with dad. After dad has already said, if this surgery is completed, I'm going to kill him. Awesome. So also third and final point, I think is you use your religion to murder somebody. What does your religion say about murder? Like I'm confused as to where your religion draws the lines and, and what, and what religion I'm sure there's many out there. So let's stop there. But you know, in, in this religion, doing a surgery to save your only son's life is, is, an abomination, but murdering your son and calling it a, well, that wasn't my son. That was absolutely your son, sir. And, you know, I don't care who we're talking about, whose belief is right. We have a state system who intervenes in parents' decisions all the time. Um, almost every state in the country, in our country, does this. Um, Department of Child Services will walk in and straight up take a kid if the parents aren't doing what they're supposed to in the state's eyes. And medical neglect is one of the things that will get a child removed from a home. So it was a hard episode for me to watch um, because there was a lot of neglect on so many different levels. Jesse, it's interesting that you say the dad said he was going to kill Sean. I read that as the dad was going to kill Franklin. So and I did. Franklin okay. operates on my yeah, kid, I will kill that's what the I doctor. Thought too. So Dang. when I heard it, I was like, oh, he's going to kill the doctor. So when they're like, we they, we would like to talk to the doctor, I'm like, this is it. They're going to murder him. And then they didn't. They didn't even get mad at him. They were like, listen, you did it. Okay, cool. We're going to kill our kid. Like, please let us take him so we can take him back in this other room and murder him in some weird ritual. Like that, that is how it came full circle for me. Cause I kind of read it the same way at first too, but I mean, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty. I guess I can look back and say, yeah, sure. Okay, he already told. But to me, telling Sinclair, Sinclair, if he does this, I'm going, you know, I'm going to murder him. I guess you got to be cautious on every level, I would think. Um, you know, it's interesting, too. You mentioned how the dad was more reserved after that. I do like that the world building is not just about their religion being, you know, we protect the soul and everything else. But it's very clear that this is a... Uh, this is a, uh, a culture that men are supposed to be stoic. And we've seen several times in this episode, the mother speaks for the father. Mm-hmm. And then even at the, the ritual death, the father is being fairly stoic and the mother, mother is speaking to uh, Franklin and everything else. So it's, it's interesting that they built up the culture in a couple different ways here. Like, what do you got? So I'm going to touch real quick on something Jesse made the comment about um, with the religion and the killing. I mean, we've seen within multiple religions, the concept of honor killings or other practices that within the religious code are allowable, um, even on religions that we have now. But the one thing is this episode's almost 30 years old, and we still see these arguments over religious freedoms and uh, whose beliefs are right or wrong. And we see it out even outside of medicine and medical care with things like assisted suicide or uh, what medical treatments people will get in accordance with their faith. You know, there's the huge argument right now over schools and education and what is being taught in classrooms that represents a violation or 
goes against people's belief and parental rights to what their children should be exposed to in classrooms and how we're seeing that manifest itself. So watching this episode, it's nearly 30 years old, delve into these concepts of religion and whose beliefs are right or wrong. And I think that's even one of the little monologue moments that Sinclair had was, you know, who's to say which belief is right and which one's wrong? And, you know, how do we choose that? And, you know, we see that on Earth right now, let alone when you look at, you know, a galaxy full of differing belief systems and religions and processes. And we see how that plays out in this case in a medical scenario with MedLab and with Franklin um, making these decisions. And he flat out says, you know, people come to me and want us to be gods. If I'm going to be responsible for that, I claim the authority to do whatever the hell I want, basically, to save patients' lives. And this time, you know, it comes back around when the parents, and again, we had this comment earlier on with, you know, I think it was uh, the episode with uh, Marshall Teague and the, you know, the real quick moment where they know nothing about the species. And then all of a sudden, Franklin's giving this, you know, rundown of their entire history, like five seconds later. You know, we see that again at the end of this one. Nobody knows anything about this culture. No one knows anything. And then just right at the end, here comes the report that they did for the, from the research team. You know, so I kind of feel like they had that little exposition moment at the end where there was that aha of, oh, crap, there's the great journey. And there's this robe thing. And that, you know, Franklin then figures out that, oh, they're going to kill this kid in accordance with religion to make good what he did in their eyes. So, you know, it, it's just kind of interesting how they, they went with that narrative piece again. But overall, with religion and seeing it, it, this episode still is relevant now as it was then. And you look at the different beliefs. I mean, we've seen, especially in a post 9-11 world, those of us that have seen the reaction to uh, even people of the Muslim faith within the United States and the backlash to even where they've wanted to build mosques to their religious beliefs with communities pushing back on that. So. So it's just been an interesting watching this now versus when it was in 94. Emily, go ahead. Well, one of the things this episode made me think is that whether or not a deity or multiple deities exist, we create the religion. We create the rituals. We create interpretations. We create these belief systems. And it really makes me question us as a species that we create these systems that can be so harmful. And then how we define that harm, because to these parents, you know, him losing his soul was a greater harm than him ceasing to exist, you know? And it also made me wonder if he fell down and scraped his knee, would they have to kill him too? If there was like, would his soul escape through the scraped knee? <laughs> you you are like that. Like we create these elaborate systems that don't really always have coherency to them you are basically channeling the internet of 1994 because that question came up too so if they scratch their arm or bruise their knee are they going to you know lose their soul and become a zombie jms did say and of course it wasn't in the show so i agree with you and the show is kind of shaky he said, it's the chest cavity. When you open the chest cavity, you let the soul out. But that wasn't said in the show. So I thought the same thing. So okay. how many kids fall off their bikes on this planet and immediately get killed off because they're zombies? Well, now I feel a little bit better, but you know what I mean? Like we yeah, create I agree. elaborate systems and then redefine harm based on whatever system we've chosen to follow. Nicole, what do you got? Um, I was going to say, I thought it was kind of interesting of all the different religious um, comparisons that were made. 
And like the different quotes, for example, well, Sinclair comparing himself to Pontius Pilate. I don't know if you guys caught that reference. Mm -hmm. I was like, yo, all right, he's going to go there. And then um, he was saying about, you know, what we hold sacred gives our lives meanings, not necessarily, you know, our beliefs or whatever. And then um, when Franklin was like, I'm waiting for an apology. And he's like, yeah, you have to check the temperature in hell first. You know, I thought that was like, so it was kind of interesting because I felt like Sinclair has his own faith. And like, there was a lot of references and comparisons to like traditional and like current faith that like maybe we're more used to, as opposed to like this alien faith or belief system that they have. Um, so I, that was just kind of an observation that I found like, there was several like just references and like um, things towards like common day religion that I thought were kind of interesting and almost like a little inappropriate. <laughs> Kevin. Who, who was it that said that this was a good episode for Dr. Hernandez, the the colleague of Dr. Franklin? Cause I, I, I don't understand that, that uh, viewpoint. I, I understand that she was loyal at the end, which I certainly appreciate, but I mean, she was almost, you know, antagonizing the the parents at the beginning of the episode, you know, by, you know, what kind of crappy religion do you follow? It's like, well, that's certainly not going to work. So I don't, I, I guess I, I, I super don't understand that. I don't think anyone said it was a good, it, it looked good for her, but I think it was good to have that character in there in the mix. Oh, yeah, I, I thought she was a great actress in this. I thought oh, her, I see. Okay. She played the character very well. Oh, okay. I get it. Uh, I just I thought this was a really bad episode for Franklin. I mean, yes, in the in the middle of the episode, you see his his enormous compassion and dedication. But, um, you know, at, at the beginning, he he just completely steps on, you know, the mom asking him not to be, um, you know, throwing their religion uh, kind of in their own face. And then by the end, of course, he's just completely out of line for multiple reasons and being cocky about it. But I I think that's one of the reasons why I, I don't remember every detail of these episodes that I've seen before. But uh, I think that's probably the reason why I super don't like this episode, because Franklin is such an ass in this episode. Yeah, he has like a real God complex at times in this one. And it's... <laughs> Which is not unlike a lot of surgeons, so I get that that's fairly accurate, but it's still, you, you, you hope that he's better than that. Maybe he'll grow from this in, in the, uh, you know, his character will grow from this. Maybe they won't. I, I won't say, but. We will say as soon as the newbies leave, because we're definitely going to talk about Franklin a little bit and be on the rim. Absolutely going to talk about it. <laughs> Just. <laughs> 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 jesse go ahead we all choose a hill to die on at one point in our career or another and dr franklin did exactly what he was hired and took an oath to do um i you know i have a question it, by a show of hands as a doctor who thinks they would have um, and you can cut this out, Scott. I'm just, this is just for my I'm personal saying, opinion. You're about to ready ask for a show of hands on a podcast. Right, right. And you can, you, this is just a personal <laughs> belief. But as a show of hands, as the doctor, who thinks they would have done that surgery? Yeah. As a doctor? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's the thing is that's what he was, he was hired to do. He's hired to save people. And he said he took an oath, you know, it, probably to do no harm and, um, do what's right for every patient. And so regardless of religious beliefs, 
um, he didn't have to him. I, to me, it looked like he didn't have a choice. He was just going to, you know, it, I don't, I don't know if I see it as a God complex, um, but I see it as his job. And he chose that hill to die on. And he died. You know what I mean? Like he died on it. He said, I'm ready to give my resignation whenever you want it. So yeah. I, you know, I mean, I think he did exactly what they hired him to do. But I, but I know Jesse, like you had mentioned earlier, medical neglect, and that's even like, especially in a state like mine, that's a very gray area. Sure. Um, and that's, you know, and again, like, it's something that I kind of like struggle with, even with myself about then where does the parental rights come in? And it's, it's, it's never an easy conversation to have. So I, I, I honestly hope I never have to have that. I just think that with medical neglect, I don't think that one of the gray area, I think one of the not gray areas of medical neglect is not providing life-saving measures. So, I mean, it's, you know what I mean? If, if there is something that a doctor can do, um, to give an example, um, I saw a case of a kid that, um, had some kind of brain swelling when it was born and, um, and mom, the doctor gave her, gave mom a list of appointments that she had to go to and she missed the first two or three of them. And so they went and they took her kid from her because here's the thing is the doctor told her, if you don't bring this child to these appointments, your child can die. And she chose not to bring the kid to the appointments and they went and took the baby until she can get um, back on a, a plan to be able to give the child the appointments that it needs. Um, so it's like, I, I feel like, yes, there are a lot of gray areas, especially in the child protection realm. Like, look, that's a job that I don't think I could ever do. Um, and, but there, there are black and white areas. There are a lot of gray areas, but I think one of those areas that it's not is if you don't give your child the, the treatment that it needs to live, that's one of those areas that they don't, you kind of tie their hands. I will agree with you that um, if I was Franklin, I would have done the surgery personally. However, I will say that Franklin has a God complex, and it's not just he's following his oath. And we see that with the steak dinner. I think that was put in there to point out right there that he is not just doing this because he thinks he should. He's doing it because he thinks he can. What? He thinks he will get he will get away with it. What and are that's you talking why about? What the, the, be, the, the, the betting of the steak dinner. When he flat out, when they they say that he's going to get this done, and if he gets it done, the other doctor is going to buy him a steak. Okay, and I must have missed so, that part. Yeah, it, it's a couple scenes, but so I think that is put in there for flat out for that reason. He's not just being the good doctor; he yeah. is being an egotist, and he is saying, "I know what's best, and I will get this done, and no matter what happens, I will do it." Which is a gone complex, and I. Whether you agree with him doing the surgery or not, he absolutely goes above and beyond what he should have done just in the fact that he made it kind of nonchalant, like, oh, this yeah. is just another day in the park, and I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm right. I will They'll say, see that I'm right. Yeah, yeah. Everyone will see I'm right, and I will get – and you know what? Going back to the B plot, Ivanova says the same thing. I'm right. I'm going to go ahead and break the rules and go on ahead, and she got lucky. He didn't, and that's the whole point of what Garibaldi says at the end. Sometimes we get lucky. Sometimes we don't. Did he not get lucky though? Because he saved the kid's life, so he did exactly. Not the end. But that's not his. That had nothing to the do with the kids. Still died. That the, that was all the parents. That, yeah, but I, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Jesse. I'm I'm sorry for stepping on you there. I apologize. But here's the thing. The difference is the kid's last few moments of his life were horrendous. Not only did he die, he died with his parents scared of him. So you're in, you're a, you're a kid. I'm guessing he's like 13, 14 years old at the most. And not only are you dying, 
But at the very end, when you need comfort the most, you are shunned and alienated by the only people who you know. Mm. That is a w- terrible way to die. So I don't think Franklin got what I don't. I I think it would have been better off. Again, hindsight being twenty twenty, I think it would have been better off to let him die in comfort with his family than to let him be murdered by his family. Especially but when he, when the child himself agreed with the religion. Sure. But you didn't know that that was going to happen. So you were all looking at a hindsight 2020 situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Sinclair didn't have that knowledge, or I'm sorry, um, mm-hmm. Dr. Franklin. Franklin mm-hmm. didn't have that mm-hmm. knowledge that that was going to happen. So yes, hindsight being, sure, let the kid die, right? The kid's going to die anyway. Let him die in peace and not in this terrible, excruciating pain and um, emotional discomfort. But Franklin didn't have that knowledge. Sinclair mm-hmm. had that knowledge, but Sinclair didn't know he had that knowledge. So, See, And I still disagree with you on the whole that dad was going to kill the kid. I think that the dad was flat out saying, I'm going to kill Franklin. But, but he didn't. So in a hindsight so, 2020 situation, he didn't do that you somebody, How many times you've been pissed at somebody and says, I'm going to kill him? That's what the dad said. If he does this, I'm going to kill him. He was talking about Franklin. But I can see where you're coming from. I mean, everyone's – this is a – the whole point of watching TV is it's subjective. So right. I completely see where you're coming from. The other thing I, I – you know, you mentioned Sinclair again. Uh, one thing I wanted to – and I, I swear this is not the Bash Jesse show. I'm just you're, – you're throwing out points, and I'm just doing kind of – Oh, I'm fine. Listen, um, what I signed up for. Let's do it. You mentioned, you mentioned Sinclair uh, made a mistake here. I actually love the fact that Sinclair, who we already know through Parliament of Dreams – is somebody who values all religions. So he's mm-hmm. fall, he's definitely in character here. Sure. He goes to Sean and gives Sean agency. He goes to Sean and say, what do you want? What do you want me to do? He goes to the kid. Now, you can argue the kid is not an adult and can't make decisions for himself anyway, no. and I completely agree with you there. Right. But I do appreciate that Sinclair gave him agency. Uh, I thought that was really cool how Sinclair went to go talk to him because he was in a conflict of – what do I do? I've got, you know, him, Franklin pressuring me to allow it. I've got the parents pressuring me to say no. So the fact that he had the wherewithal to go ask the the kid and have like a really meaningful discussion with the little boy, I thought that was really good. Um, And then at the very end, when he had the surgery and Franklin was like, see, you still feel like the same person. And he was like, yeah, I'm still me. And he was like all excited about how he was still who he was. He felt the same. He, you know, um, still knew the songs. He still knew his whole religion. Like he didn't feel like he lost his soul. And he was so excited to tell his parents that. And then they shunned him. I was just like, man, like that was like so heartbreaking because, you know, he's, he told Sinclair, I want to live, but I don't want to lose my soul. Franklin does it anyway. He's like, yay, I didn't lose my soul. I'm still me. And his parents are like, oh, hell no, demon. We're done with you. And you know, he's crying and singing the song and Franklin's comforting him. And at the end, when Franklin realizes that they're going to kill him and he goes in there and he's crying, it's it's kind of like, I feel like he he realized that he he messed up. You know what I mean? Like, I think at that point, he finally realized I shouldn't have done that. And at the very end, when him and um, Sinclair were talking and he's like, are you OK? And he's like, no. And um, you know, the whole thing they had, the dialogue about, you know, what makes us human is that we care and we never stop trying. And then, you know, um, the doctor was like, yeah, but there's so many ways that we can hurt. I just felt like it all kind of like came full circle. You can tell he was really remorseful. Was Franklin really remorseful? I, I mean, he was remorseful the kid died. I get that. Yeah, he, I, I, I don't so. I don't think Franklin learned anything. 
No, and I'm not. Spe- I'm not speaking about what yeah. happens next because we will talk about that beyond the rim. And I don't think Franklin learned anything in this episode. I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he's upset that the kid died completely. Uh, uh, he's he's just completely beside himself. But I don't think he learned anything. I think if another kid walked on into Med Bay tomorrow with the exact same problem, he would make the exact same decision. I don't think Franklin learned anything, better or for good or bad. That's my opinion. I can see that too. Emily, what do you got? So listening to all you guys talk, I was thinking back to the scene where um, the parents come in and they see him and he's alive and he's feeling better. And their initial reaction is like, you're a demon. And it really makes me wonder, what would it take to make them question their faith? Like their belief and culture is so strong. They killed their son because they didn't think it was their son. And like to look at his face and see him so happy and so alive and just reject him like that. Like, is there anything that could make them question, mm, do we really like this belief system? You know, I mean, to to me, their reactions were just felt very extreme. Like, that's your kid. You know, as a parent, you want to protect them. You want to see them happy. You want to see them thrive and like have the best life they can have, whatever that looks like. And I don't know, that was just, it was kind of hard to see them reject him like that. And then what they did and to think, you know, they never stopped to question what they were doing. It seems like. I'll throw it back at you though. And I will say I'm being devil's advocate here because as I've already said on this podcast in a previous episode, I'm an atheist. I am hundred percent science. Yay. Wow. Uh, But what would make Franklin question his belief? Because we have two believers here. We have the parents and their beliefs, and we have Franklin and his beliefs. And even Sinclair asks him, what do you believe in? And by the way, he dodged the question. So yeah, he was what would Franklin like, question? I have science and data on my side. And I I tend to align more with that because like, you can see someone living there, but after we're dead, we don't know what happened. So I got to side with what we can actually see and experience as opposed to what may or may not happen. But isn't it fascinating, though, in this show, we know what happens when people die. We actually know that. We saw it way back in episode two or three. We know that there are, maybe it's not souls, maybe it's something else, but there is absolutely something that winds up in those little balls when the soul hunters come to town. So yes, in our universe, in our reality, we don't don't know that there is a soul or yes or no. And honestly, if you ask me, there probably isn't. But in this universe, there is something, and Franklin knows it, because he even asks in that episode, what did you see? What did you see? <laughs> so it's just interesting that this comes up in this universe. Yeah. And, like, with the Soul Hunter, it it seemed like they were keeping them in a state they shouldn't have been in. It wasn't going through the natural cycle. So, I don't know. But, yeah, it's just seeing them reject him and then murder him, basically. What, what this kid really what this kid really needed was Martin Sheen. And you all will laugh at that joke three years from now. <laughs> like you're enough. I'll forget it by then. <laughs> this kid really needed Martin Sheen and he didn't have Martin Sheen with him. Blake. Correct. So I'll just touch you a bit on, you know, Jesse mentioned the medical neglect piece, and even that comes with a lot of religious exemptions and allowances. Um, I mean, there's been numerous court cases that have sided with parents and religious belief. We've seen a number of court cases saying that upholding parental rights on that. And we've even seen with the recent pandemic, the number of allowances made to vaccines for religious reasons. 
uh, to avoid getting even the vaccine or any vaccine. I mean, you look at the larger anti-vax movement at this point, who's claiming religious exemptions and other stuff to try to get out of vaccine mandates for any type of vaccine and leading to resurgence of diseases that we haven't dealt with in years because of these exemptions that are increasing as we go forward. I just have a quick comment. I I don't understand why Franklin didn't make a bigger push to have a much deeper understanding for their cultural beliefs and religion much earlier in the episode. I suppose you could probably argue that that, that team was working on it and it was such a far off world that they couldn't get any information. But um, so why not, why not ask the parents for more information about, about their cultural beliefs? I, I don't understand that. And as a matter of writing, it just seems very plot convenient to at the, at the very last second. Uh Oh yeah. You know, I, you got, both you and Blake have brought up the plot convenience on that. And obviously it's a written episode. So that is for the plot, but I will defend David Gerald in this because we're told that at the beginning of the episode, the other doctor is working on research on this. She is doing this. And actually I think one of the failures of Franklin and this is actually in the writing, is that he did not involve the parents in the conversation. Instead of involving the parents in the conversation, he went out and started getting the approval to do it anyway. Much like the parents didn't involve themselves in the conversation with Franklin, they went out and started building up their team of people who would be against it. So if these two had talked together, I think that would have gone a long way. But to defend the whole research thing, the kid coded. They thought they had more time. And then they're like, he's going to be gone in an hour. So I, again, yes, it is plot convenient, but that's the argument for the writing is the kid went faster than they thought they, he would. So if he had held on a little bit longer, they would have had that research. Jesse, what do you got? There was a second right before he cut into the kid where I think he even doubted his, his himself. And it was like, ooh, what's going to happen? So... If the doctor believes what the parents believed, then why are we here? You know what I mean? Like, why are we doing this? So it was, even me as a a viewer, I was like, what's going to happen? Are we going to see this soul leave the body? Because you know what? I don't, I know what I believe, but that doesn't mean it's right. And I, you know, if I know that, you know, you, you hear other people say what they, what they think and you're like, oh, that's absolutely ridiculous but is it like, is it really that ridiculous? What if they're right and I'm wrong? You know? And I, I think in my 40 quick one years, um, I definitely have had moments like that where it's like, okay, I know what I've been taught, but what they've been taught, they also believe is right. So where do we find a common ground here? And you could see him battling that right before he cut that child. Jesse, you said 40. Didn't you mean 25? Mm, 40. Okay. I'm just yeah. trying to help you out there. I'm yeah. sorry. 29 for the like 17th time. Yeah. It's the anniversary of your 29th. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned this already. I, I love that we've seen this twice with Franklin that he's, even though I, and I swear Franklin does have a God complex and he believes he's right. He's inquisitive. And we saw the same thing again. I already said in soul hunters when he was really intrigued by the whole soul thing, mm-hmm. he's like, uh, should I cut into this kid? Right. And if you, if you listen, there's a little bit of a whoosh when they cut the chest, which is just, I love that the Foley guys put that in there just for fun. I don't think this episode shows Franklin in a very good light. And I don't think Franklin does very well in this episode, even though I would have done the exact same thing Franklin did. I don't think this is a good episode for Franklin in terms of his character. I mean, 
I think it's good for the character building, but Franklin makes a lot of poor decisions in this. I do think that that kind of shows that he's more than just this on the rails. I'm going to do whatever I want. He's still, he's still inquisitive. Nicole, what do you got? I was just going to say like how Jesse said he kind of hesitated um, and he said a prayer and he, and the lady was like, Oh wait, what did you say? And he's like, Hey, my prayers have got to be just as good as theirs are, you know, but that was kind of interesting. The interesting thing with this episode for me, and something we haven't hit on yet, is I look at this episode different now as a parent than what I did when before I was a parent. Uh, I've got three kids, and I think I get more an ethereal, like, gut feeling that I want to punch those parents in the face now that I have kids. So it's harder for me to argue the other point, because I would absolutely, I don't care. I don't care if I've read the same book about religion since I was born. If my kids are on the table, you're going to cut them open because that's what you're going to do. But I also have to look at this as what if I had the same thoughts and feelings as these parents did and put yourself in the mindset that you know, you absolutely know that when this happens, your son is going to be gone. And instead of that, you're going to have We've mentioned Demon. They said that on the show. I will actually use with the Babylon First guys, another podcast um, that's watching the show for the first time as well. They said zombie. So imagine you know without a doubt that when that kid comes out of the operating room, no matter what he says, he's a zombie. Would you approve of that surgery? And I think our answer would be no, because we don't want that. But that's what they believe. Jesse, what do you got? Um, I just, you know, I had that same thought during the during watching it was like, who are we to decide who is right and who is wrong, right? Like, I know that we all are taught something. Some of us believe nothing. Some of us believe this. Some of us believe that. Um, I've always been the one that just kind of takes this, the stance of like, whether I call him God or you call him Allah or somebody else calls him Bob, like we're praying to a common creator, right? Um, but like, just like I don't want to be told what to do with my body. Um, I think that others are the similar, you know, in the similar similar arena of not wanting to be told how to handle their religion. So I was, you know, you're watching it and I'm seeing two completely different viewpoints. I'm seeing, I relate with a doctor who's sworn to protect this child. And I relate with parents who don't want people, you know, trancing on their, their beliefs. And it's like, who makes the right decision? This goes back to the very first question of whose decision, whose, whose belief is right. So it's just this absolute, yes i said bob okay (laughs) you know i i I immediately popped in my head ron williams has sketch and may he rest in peace ron williams has sketch where he's talking about jim bob is a god and he goes praise to him jim bob he who gets this stuff and finds me a job jim bob (laughs) yes Sorry, you're having this very philosophical conversation. It's fine. Just, you know, like... I don't I don't expect to have any deep conversations with this group. So if we get one, we get one. <laughs> just pluck those cherries out when you can, kids. Yeah. Blake, what do you got? So the reason I brought up earlier uh, some of David Gerald's other work, like Blood and Fire, if you look at some of the stories he's done, the novels he's done, um, he did the story, The Martian Child, which was made into a movie, which had some significant changes to it. But the basic underlying story of a lot of things that David Gerald has written are these type of morality issues or re- answering questions of life and morality. Um, he's done it in quite a few of his works with similar themes, but also around acceptance and understand between um, 
parents and children or creators and what they create. Uh, he did a story with the creator of a sentient AI and deciding whether it should be turned off and things. So this is a common thread amongst his type of writing. So probably no doubt why JMS had him doing the writing on this one, but he's done this a lot and he's done it very well. And I think this is probably the way he did the writing on this, I think was probably in reaction to what he got pushed off on um, in in Star Trek when they refused to let him make the script he had written and to have the studio affirm this one and say, say what they did and say, yeah, go for it, do it. You know, I think that was a boost to him and some of what uh, he did for other works. And I'm glad Blake, you mentioned why uh, David Gerald got picked for this one. The premise came in and um, JMS shopped it out to the writer's room. And he also picked David because he's his father. He had just adopted a son before this episode was written and Gerald came back to JMS afterwards and said, now I understand why you made me write this because as a father and JMS, by the way, is not a father. And there's again, re becoming Superman. There is a very distinct reason why JMS is not a father. And he goes into detail on it. Um, that's why he gave Gerald this writing assignment because he needed somebody who has a kid to look at it that way too. Mike. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll build upon the point that Jesse made and the point that you just made uh, about, um, you know, being a father. And, and I'll say this, I think in this episode titled believers, the only believers aren't Dr. Franklin and the parents. I think we as viewers are believers as well, because we're going to have a very visceral reaction to what happens in this episode and who we agree with. I'm snapping, sir. Thumb snaps. Uh, Yes. Thank you. I got way up my own ass on that one. Um, (laughs) But to that point, I think, you know, things happening in in the world today, right? We've had a lot of these news stories surrounding COVID and other stuff happening. And quite frankly, I'm a parent and I fully acknowledge that I will look at somebody else's situation and what's happening and what's in the news and who stepped on whose rights. And I'll have an opinion about Mm -hmm. who I agree with. But that's going to be potentially different if it's their kid and not mine. Because as soon as something comes up that flips that role and now it's my kid, I I mean, I'll be I've made turned into the world's biggest hypocrite. And I think that's worth pointing out because again, I, I think the only the, the characters in the show aren't the only believers here. I think we're all believers when it comes to something that we really believe in or really are the hill we're willing to die on or whether it affects us directly or affects our family directly. I mean, it's it's an unanswerable question. This is the Kobayashi Maru of Babylon 5, and, like, there's no winner. There's no right answer. No one's going to agree. Like, we could talk about it all night. Okay, we're going to move into uh, predictions and questions. So we're going to go to our newbies and ask them if they have any questions that uh, – not philosophical questions, but other questions that may come up through this, through this episode, and then any predictions they may have after this episode. So we'll go to Nicole first. Question. Questions and predictions. So I guess my questions would be, are there going to be any repercussions to Franklin for doing uh, what he did? Um, Is there going to be any sort of backlash from maybe the people of the egg uh, or whatever their race was? Um, Is there going to be any future conflicts with Sinclair and Franklin? Um, Is Franklin actually going to resign, even though Sinclair told him he didn't have to? And then I guess a prediction would be, 
is that um, I don't think this is going to be the last of the uh, debates or conflicts uh, with Franklin and medical care and, and things like that. I think this might be uh, a little bit of foreshadowing of what's to come. Okay, Emily, question and prediction. Will we ever get to see Ivanova's fighter pilot skills? Because, yeah, I want to see that. That's about all I got. Because cool. this episode was a lot, and I don't really feel like getting haters, so. Uh-huh. You can send your hate mail to grace17podcast at gmail.com. Let's go over to Jesse. Question and predictions. Mm, I have none on either side. This this episode was exhausting. <laughs> It is. Justin, questions, predictions. I mean, I guess Nicole covered a lot of the questions I have regarding uh, Dr. Franklin. Um, I kind of in, am interested to see if he has what kind of what the blowback against him is. Um, and then, it's, you know, specifically since I they mentioned a couple times that the Earth Alliance refused to kind of even acknowledge that the situation was going on and just jumped it all in like Sinclair's lap. If there is going to be any kind of response from the earth Alliance uh, regarding what actually ended up transpiring. And then um, I, another question I have is um, going back to when we talked about earlier about only three um, officers are qualified to lead a squadron. Are the rest of the um, pilots just like dumb TIE fighter pilots? Like what is, what is the whole make like what is actually defending the station if everything is in the hands of three people and that's kind of one thing i don't understand and i hope it gets answered a little bit better um in the future and then really predictions um based off of this particular episode um i kind of want to see ivanova do i guess a little more um i want to see you know more of from this episode carried forward and I kind of hope to see her more in a leadership combat role. And that is all. Got it. Andrew, questions and predictions? Uh, well, both uh, Nicole and uh, Justin covered my questions about uh, Dr. Franklin. But my question about uh, is for about Ivanova and got the same kind of thing. Uh, will there be any re- repercussions for Ivanova? And uh, well, I got, like I'm predicting, though, that... Uh, it'll probably be a little bit more positive because she did break uh, uh, break her orders, but at the same time, she successfully saved someone's life. So sometimes things work out, sometimes they don't. I've misquoted Garibaldi about seven times in this podcast now. <laughs> you know, but the one quote that I will throw out there, and it's completely kind of I don't know, semi off topic, but I thought it was a really good quote from Garibaldi: "Is sure is for people with nothing on the line." Mm-hmm. Really yes. like that one. I, I'm, our our chief Garibaldi hater is not with us this week, but I think this is a really good Garibaldi episode. Even though he's only in for like four scenes, I think we get a lot for Garibaldi. You know, I I do and I don't, and I don't know if this is another production order thing, but the one thing I would say is with Garibaldi being the the kind of straight shooter every man, like I'm almost shocked that he was aware of this situation with the parents and the kids and didn't involve himself at all. Because I feel like the Garibaldi that we've met up until this point would have 100% interjected and like thrown the parents in jail or something. Could it just be. seems like something he would have done. It seems like he would have put himself on the line to protect the kid. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about Garibaldi next week, and we'll leave it at that. 
Okay, so go ahead and end it there for our newbies. What we're going to do now is we're going to send them out an airlock, and then we're going to stick around with Blake, Mike, Kevin, and I, who have watched the entire show, and we're going to answer all these questions, predictions they threw at us. So if you are somebody watching Babylon 5 for the first time, this is where you're going to leave us after the credits. And then if you are somebody who either doesn't care about getting spoiled or has already seen the show, stick around after the credits, and we will talk about that. So until next time, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Emily. Blake. Mike. Nicole. Andrew. Jesse. I'm Justin. And Kevin. And (laughs) somebody snorted. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Okay, welcome back to Beyond the Rim, where we uh, stay with our long-term fans to spoil everything, which honestly, there's not much to spoil in this one. This is a pretty bottle episode, but we're going to do a little bit of uh, talking. Uh, So uh, let's go ahead, guys, and talk about Franklin, because I think absolutely that is what's going to continue on. So who wants to talk about how Franklin's affected by this episode, if at all? I thought it was really interesting that, I think it was Nicole said, uh, do you think he's going to resign later on over this? I'm like, oh, well, yes, but not over this. But I think this this is part of it. I absolutely think this is part of it. Yeah, I probably I think his there. God complex is what brings him to that. And we, Blake, you're nodding, so go for it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, You said it during the main session, or main part of this. Franklin didn't learn anything out of this. It, he's sorry the kid died, but he didn't learn anything. And we're going to see this obsessive behavior from Franklin continue throughout the series um, up to the point when he finally has that break and goes on his walkabout, uh, gets stabbed and meets himself, basically. You know, we're going to see this almost obsessive. He starts abusing stems. He goes through, starts, you know, screaming at other med lab staff for doing things. You know, so I don't think we're going to see any immediate repercussions. But yeah, when he has that break and goes on his little walkabout, I think this it all just cascades into that. And if you're being, uh, uh, if you're giving a lot to the writing here, I think this absolutely is a start of it. I, I think this really is a bottle episode. I think more reasons of why Franklin will get into the thing else happens later. But if you want to give a little bit to this episode, I think. If anything, he sees this as a failure in that he didn't do it fast enough. If he had done it fast enough and decided to do this sooner, maybe he could have found another solution. And I think that turns into his continued God complex of needing to be perfect, never sleeping, and doing all of the drugs to make sure of that and everything else. 
Mike, you have anything else you want to add about Franklin? No, not really. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, the other thing is the question about the parents and the uh, the egg. They don't come back at all. This is a one and done, uh, so we will not have repercussions for that. But I don't think we need to. I don't think episode needs to be um, a lower episode to be good. And I th- think this episode is definitely one that sticks with you, whether you like it or not. Let's go into Ivana a, a little bit and the Raiders, because the other question was, is there going to be any kind of um, uh, pushback for Ivanova? And of course the answer is no. Well, but uh, Too deep there. I was going to touch on the piece with the command staff. Oh, please go for it. Because, you know, I, again, this was production order five. They, they had their main cast, but extras at this point and expanded cast weren't that much. There's a few people in the background uh, that we've seen. I mean, you see Lieutenant Corwin in the background, but I don't think we know who he is at this point. We just see the bit actor there in the background. Um, the other thing we don't see that we'll get, I don't even think it comes in in season one. I don't think we get it till season two. Uh, but you'll see that there is a captain or or lieutenant that is kind of in charge of the fighter wing. Yeah. And so you'll get because- yeah, and I don't think we get the yeah, Kevin, you're saying too. I don't think we get that. Oh one yes. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Keffer. Lieutenant Keffer, yeah. who is I mentioned in this episode about how the studio makes poor decisions. We will get to Lieutenant Keffer because he was absolutely a studio decision. JMS That's had no plan for Keffer. At all. Yeah, and so the studio said we need a young hotshot pilot, a la top gun. And so he made Keffer and JMS flat out fine, I'll put him in, but I'm gonna kill him before the end of the season. <laughs> Well, and he hardly did anything with his character at all during right. season two. I mean, he's completely a throwaway. Because JMS didn't want to write for him. Yeah, he, which makes sense. I mean, it was just a two-dimensional, crappy character. I like the actor, honestly. He got like a little, he's got some charisma to him. But yeah, no, he's... he's Ropus was, was the only episode he really got to do much of anything other than... There, there's one other one where they're stuck in hyperspace that he does something with but he basically has two episodes a whole season too yeah so we will definitely talk about keffer i'll be interested to see what the newbies feel about keffer because i'm not I, I i will try to remember not to talk about the fact that studio forced him on him and i will see what the newbies say about that it'll be interesting but even with the force it still does resolve that issue because only having three command staff that can lead a fighter squadron is kind of a i agree, so I agree. at least it does That's fix fine. that well, and also, I mean, as we know, in the next episode, we're going to get a new fighter wing of Star Furies as well, too. So they are definitely building out the military side of Delta things. Delta wing. Yep. Well, and Keffer was in charge of Zeta wing. So there you go. Yeah, I don't know how you don't have a CAG on, you know, on the on the space station. That doesn't make sense. I think it's actually... It's wrong show. <laughs> but you know what? It's a missed opportunity. Yeah. Because, you know, especially in the early 90s like this, uh, Wing Commander is huge right now. Uh, on PC. I think we're up to Wing Commander maybe three by 94, maybe Wing Commander four at this point. I think that would have been something to tap into that wasn't done, is actually see that Star Fury side of things more. But it doesn't really happen. But one thing we do get, because the other question was, do we get to see Ivana in a dogfight? I mean, we don't see Ivana in a Star Fury that much, but we will see her commanding fleets. And I think the newbies are going to love that. <laughs> yeah, I think more generally, it's like, I want to see Ivanova do more badass stuff. And yeah, you'll get yeah. to. Nothing, helped, all- nothing at all happened in Sector 8-2 by 9 by whatever. 
<laughs> it's awesome that that Jesse's come around on Ivanova. I mean, we all knew she was going to, but I thought it would might take a little bit longer because she seemed like she might be digging in her heels. But no, she's uh, it, it's happened at a good time. Well, and Blake and Je- uh, Kevin, you've known Jesse as long, if not longer, than I have, and um, she's, she's Ivanova. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah she's totally so, Ivanova. So I think I, I actually, I, I honestly. Even though Ivanova didn't get much to do in the first few episodes, I think part of it was Jesse was seeing herself in there, and so that may have pushed her off a little bit. But now she is flat out; she's on she's on Team Ivanova, and I appreciate it. Well, uh, I think the other part too, and I'll say this in Jesse's defense too on Ivanova is we had him watch the Gathering. Now, yes. when the Gathering first came out, it was a year between the Gathering and the start of the series proper. We had him do it in a week. Yeah. So, you know, they got used to the characters in the gathering and she was really liking Laurel Takashima. Mm-hmm. And then for that, you know, when there was a year between there, okay, you can excuse where characters go. And I think even the setting for the start of season one takes place a fair bit after the events of the gathering. It's a year. It's yeah, actually, I mean, they, they built year. the year into the script. So you can kind of excuse that. Our newbies didn't get that experience. We we put them into watch this one week later, watch Midnight on the Firing Line. Yeah, timeline-wise, Babylon 5 has been online for two years now because it mm-hmm. was the year anniversary for The Gathering, uh, and then it's a year after that. So B5 has been online for two years, which actually was mentioned in another episode because there was uh, Lloyds of London had odds on how long it was going to last. <laughs> Anything else spoilerly that we want to talk about with this episode? I don't know if it counts as spoiler yet. It surprises me that no one else has questioned the nature of Babylon 5, the the military aspect of Babylon 5, because mm-hmm. especially in the just the, what was it, the previous episode is the first time we've ever seen that the station itself actually can defend itself, I guess. <laughs> like, it does have guns, <laughs> even though they all act like they're going to poop themselves the first time any ship comes out of space, hyperspace. Um, but And then the fact that it has not just one but we'll eventually get multiple fighter wings but yet yeah. we see i don't want to like i'm gonna to have to liken it to like a star trek joke about the ds9 but like i feel like we see very very few station personnel there's mm-hmm. almost no military presence right if there are only three people who are qualified to command a fighter wing at this point in time we see the handful of random security guards that appear whenever there's trouble down below but really if you think about ds9 i feel like in every single shot in works there are a handful of starfleet personnel walking around in the background and in this an extra budget and in the series you just don't get that that's true that's true um and i'm looking forward to the military aspect of the very next episode uh survivors we actually again as i kind of alluded to we get a military personnel member who is by the book which is different than what we have seen before so and you know kevin you mentioned gropos I think that's an excellent episode and um, that really gets into it as well, too. Um, so um, Garibaldi gets his girlfriend for about five seconds. It's great. <laughs> no, to my say, I think Babylon 5 does spend money on background extras, but I think they emphasize them different. You know, DS9, you saw a lot of Federation personnel, but and you saw the occasional, you know, civilian on the promenade type thing, but... Babylon 5, where you see the more civilians, is you see the scenes in the gardens or the Zocalo area, or even walking through the hallways, they tend to have more of the civilian. I think they're trying to emphasize more the it's a city in space more so. Yeah, than the aspect. It, 
and it and it does. It totally makes sense because A B five is significantly larger. Yes, than DS nine was, but also I think it is the nature of the station being more of a city and space diplomatic endeavor versus something military. But at the same time, it does just feel weird how little that you ever see a, a uniformed, you know, person walking around doing anything official. Well, yeah. even when you see the Earth Alliance team when they're not in their duty stations, they're in civilian clothes. So. Who knows how many of those civilian clothes ones we're seeing are Earth Force personnel. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a good point. And I think we will see more of that as we move on, too. But it's it's definitely something that's different between the two shows. I always like watching when you uh, watch the DS9 every once in a while, a TNG episode or uh, uh, uniform will show up because you know they just raided the TNG stage because we need an extra uniform <laughs> since thrown in there. Okay, well, uh, we'll go ahead and wind it down there, and we will come back to talk spoilers again with Survivors next week. And again, if you are following along with us, please be sure to like and subscribe and review and do all that. But we would really love to hear from you all on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts and YouTube accounts. We have comments going with different people on each one of those, and it's great to have conversations with you all. Uh, But if you are one of the folks who have been along for the ride like we have, Keep them spoiler free. Don't spoil the newbies. Uh, until next week, I am Scott, and with me has been Blake, Kevin, and Mike. It's fine. Don't worry about me. I'm just going to sit here and knit something. Maybe a nice sweater, some socks, 